a Franciscan benediction. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. Amen. Before COVID-19, nearly 700 people died every day because of poverty and inequality in this country. The front lines of this pandemic will be the poor and dispossessed, those who do not have access to health care, housing, water, decent wages, stable work or child care, and those who are continuing to work in this crisis meeting our health care and other needs. Excerpt from Poverty Amidst Pandemic, A Moral Response to COVID-19. The link from moveon.org can be found in our broadcast document at the top of intuitive.pub text. Sometime around April 20th, Health Justice Commons healthjusticecommons.org, posted, calling in all radical healthcare workers and healers. Are you working at the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic, providing life-sustaining healthcare and healing to our communities? Join the Health Justice Commons community of disability justice leaders and activists and rad healthcare workers and healers for this solidarity and strategy gathering. This gathering is free. If you want to support our life-changing work, you can donate here. There's a link, flipcause.com. They continue, we will hold space to honor the invaluable care you are providing in these times. Witness you in whatever you are feeling and want to share about what your experience is amid the pandemic. Come together to strategize and co-create alternatives rooted in intersectional health and disability justice to the path being laid out for us by the Medical Industrial Complex, or MIC, and this repressive regime. 
Since before the pandemic, the Health Justice Commons has been uniting a national network of rad healthcare workers and healers with disability justice communities to transform the medical industrial complex, decolonize healthcare, and co-create alternative systems for healthcare and healing rooted in intersectional social justice with a deep commitment to disability justice. We would love for you to join us in sharing your wisdom, stories, and support for each other during this pivotal moment in health and the world. This two-hour online gathering will help to inform our ongoing COVID-19 rapid response national organizing efforts uniting disabled, crip, queer, black, indigenous, and people of color communities and rad frontline healthcare workers to come together to respond the unprecedented crisis of this pandemic and disrupt and transform the MIC. We'll also announce information about the launch of our national radical telehealth collective and how you can get involved. The gathering will also support us to finalize our curriculum for understanding and transforming the MIC for RAD frontline healthcare workers in pandemic times on April 29th. All Health Justice Commons work centers three main approaches. One, an intersectional social justice lens with a deep grounding and commitment to disability and climate justice. Two, an abolitionist mindset to healthcare and healing. Three, a people's science lens. Access information, this training will be offered via Zoom with live closed captioning. Please complete the enrollment form to receive the Zoom join URL. Facilitation, this training will be co-facilitated by Orame Bagheri, Fabian Fernandez, and Mordecai Cohen Edinger. Image description, an abstract illustration of two multicolored hands, slightly cupped and outstretched. They are haloed in a circle of color with prisms of color radiating out from the palms. Text says, COVID-19 Solidarity Gathering for Rad Healers and Frontline Healthcare Workers. A virtual gathering co-facilitated by Orame Bagheri, Fabian Fernandez, and Mordecai Cohen Edinger, April 22nd, 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The Health Justice Commons logo is in the bottom corner, a red quarter circle with white neuron dendrites stretching into it like roots. You can find this link and more links if you navigate to intuitive.pub slash text and click on the broadcast document at the top of the page, and you can also find it at t.me slash s slash intuitive social work slash 141. Jill Kesty writes, Hi, my name is Jill Kesty and I am the creator and administrator of Coalition to End Forced Psychiatric Drugging on Facebook. You can find this link at facebook.com slash sisucreative23. 
spelled S-I-S-U, creative, two, three. Jill writes, I am now adding a YouTube channel to my page and this is the first video. It's called Life is Suffering, part one. And there's also a part two now that I saw but haven't seen yet. Jill says, thank you for listening. Jill's Patreon can be found at patreon.com slash jillkesti, J-I-L-L-K-E-S-T-I. The link to her Facebook post you can find, and also the link to the Coalition to End Forced Psychiatric Drugging in the broadcast document for April 20th through 23rd, which is linked at the top of intuitive.pub slash text. I am reading this, the introduction to Judith Herman's book, Trauma and Recovery, published in 1992. The ordinary response to atrocities is to banish them from consciousness. Certain violations of the social compact are too terrible to utter aloud. This is the meaning of the word unspeakable. Atrocities, however, refuse to be buried. Equally as powerful as the desire to deny atrocities is the conviction that denial does not work. Folk wisdom is filled with ghosts who refuse to rest in their graves until their stories are told. Murder will out. Remembering and telling the truth about terrible events are prerequisites both for the restoration of the social order and for the healing of individual victims. The conflict between the will to deny horrible events and the will to proclaim them aloud is the central dialectic of psychological trauma. People who have survived atrocities often tell their stories in a highly emotional, contradictory, and fragmented manner, which undermines their credibility and thereby serves the twin imperatives of truth-telling and secrecy. When the truth is finally recognized, survivors can begin their recovery, but far too often secrecy prevails and the story of the traumatic event surfaces not as a verbal narrative, but as a symptom. The psychological distress symptoms of traumatized people simultaneously call attention to the existence of an unspeakable secret and deflect attention from it. This is most apparent in the way traumatized people alternate between feeling numb and reliving the event. The dialectic of trauma gives rise to complicated, sometimes uncanny alterations of consciousness, which George Orwell, one of the committed truth-tellers of our century, called double-think, and which mental health professionals searching for a calm, precise language call dissociation. It results in the protean, dramatic, and often bizarre symptoms of hysteria, which Freud recognized a century ago as disguised communications about sexual abuse in childhood. Witnesses as well as victims are subject to the dialectic of trauma. 
it is difficult for an observer to remain clear-headed and calm, to see more than a few fragments of the picture at one time, to retain all the pieces, and to fit them together. It is even more difficult to find a language that conveys fully and persuasively what one has seen. Those who attempt to describe the atrocities that they have witnessed also risk their own credibility. To speak publicly about one's knowledge of atrocities is to invite the stigma that attaches to victims. The knowledge of horrible events periodically intrudes into public awareness, but is rarely retained for long. Denial, repression, and dissociation operate on a social as well as an individual level. The study of psychological trauma has an underground history. Like traumatized people, we have been cut off from the knowledge of our past. Like traumatized people, we need to understand the past in order to reclaim the present and the future. Therefore, an understanding of psychological trauma begins with rediscovering history. Clinicians know the privileged moment of insight when repressed ideas, feelings, and memories surface the consciousness. Surface into consciousness. These moments occur in the history of societies as well as in the history of individuals. In the 1970s, the speak-outs of the women's liberation movement brought to public awareness the widespread crimes of violence against women. Victims who had been silenced began to reveal their secrets. As a psychiatric resident, I heard numerous stories of sexual and domestic violence from my patients. Because of my involvement in the women's movement, I was able to speak out against the denial of women's real experiences in my own profession and testify to what I had witnessed. My first paper on incest, written with Lisa Hirschman in 1976, circulated underground in manuscript for a year before it was published. We began to receive letters from all over the country from women who had never before told their stories. Through them, we realized the power of speaking the unspeakable and witnessed firsthand the creative energy that is released when the barriers of denial and repression are lifted. Trauma and recovery represents the fruits of two decades of research and clinical work with victims of sexual and domestic violence. It also reflects a growing body of experience with many other traumatized people, particularly combat veterans and the victims of political terror. This is a book about restoring connections between the public and private worlds, between the individual and community, between men and women. It is a book about commonalities between rape survivors and combat veterans, between battered women and political prisoners, between the survivors of vast concentration camps created by tyrants who rule nations 
and the survivors of small, hidden concentration camps created by tyrants who rule their homes. People who have endured horrible events suffer predictable psychological harm. There is a spectrum of traumatic disorders ranging from the effects of a single overwhelming event to the more complicated effects of prolonged and repeated abuse. Established diagnostic concepts, especially the severe personality disorders commonly diagnosed in women, have generally failed to recognize the impact of victimization. The first part of this book delineates the spectrum of human adaptation to traumatic events and gives a new diagnostic name to the psychological disorder found in survivors of prolonged, repeated abuse. Because the traumatic syndromes have basic features in common, the recovery process also follows a common pathway. The fundamental stages of recovery are establishing safety, reconstructing the trauma story, and restoring the connection between survivors and their community. The second part of the book develops an overview of the healing process and offers a new conceptual framework for psychotherapy with traumatized people. Both the characteristics of the traumatic disorders and the principles of treatment are illustrated with the testimony of survivors and with case examples drawn from a diverse literature. The research sources for this book include my own earlier studies of incest survivors and my more recent study of the role of childhood trauma in the condition known as borderline personality disorder. The clinical sources of this book are my 20 years of practice at a feminist mental health clinic and 10 years as a teacher and supervisor in a university teaching hospital. The testimony of trauma survivors is at the heart of the book. To preserve confidentiality, I have identified all of my informants by pseudonyms, with two exceptions. First, I have identified therapists and clinicians who were interviewed about their work. And second, I have identified survivors who have already made themselves known publicly. The case vignettes that appear here are fictitious. Each one is a composite based on the experiences of many different patients, not of an individual. Survivors challenge us to reconnect fragments, to reconstruct history, to make meaning of their present symptoms in the light of past events. I have attempted to integrate clinical and social perspectives on trauma without sacrificing either the complexity of individual experience or the breadth of political context. I have tried to unify an apparently divergent body of knowledge and to develop concepts that apply equally to the experiences of domestic and sexual life, the traditional sphere of women, and to the experiences of war and political life, the traditional sphere of men. 
This book appears at a time when public discussion of the common atrocities of sexual and domestic life has been made possible by the women's movement, and when public discussion of the common atrocities of political life has been made possible by the movement for human rights. I expect the book to be controversial. First, because it is written from a feminist perspective. Second, because it challenges established diagnostic concepts. But third, and perhaps most importantly, because it speaks about horrible things, things that no one really wants to hear about. I have tried to communicate my ideas in a language that preserves connections, a language that is faithful both to the dispassionate, reasoned traditions of my profession and to the passionate claims of people who have been violated and outraged. I have tried to find a language that can withstand the imperatives of doublethink and allows all of us to come a little closer to facing the unspeakable. This is the introduction to Judith Herman's book, Trauma and Recovery, published in 1992. Hmm. Gosh, multiverse, what have we been up to these last three days? On April 20th, I spent easily three hours in meditation and embodied mindfulness. Deva Primal and Mitten have been broadcasting each day to extend their Sangha to those in need across the world at least those who can reach them. As dangerously sick as I have been the last few days because of challenges getting safe food, we have been surrounded by glorious and particular blessings too. We've started delving into more Team Human episodes, excited to express our appreciation and the way we have long benefited from content created by Douglas Rushkoff and those who resonate with his work. Surprising, nourishing connections are being made across the network. People in our communities are still suffering terribly, many of them suffering much more terribly than they were before COVID-19. And there is an emergence of resources acknowledgement and caring now that is not only a great relief, it is utterly unprecedented in our memories. There is also a sense coming into clarity for more of the world, recognizing that it is a profound strength to have survived, to be surviving the very worst of invisible circumstances. More people find out every day what this means, seem to work together more effectively, 
seem to offer one another more kindness and safety, seem to choose the value of collaborating creatively together in caring community. My heart seems to expand and become everything, and we are not disconnected as we seemed to be previously. We are all part of the same great living being. Together can we surf this thing. April 22nd was some kind of flurry of activity. I was still very sick yesterday, but less than the previous day. Long-sought equipment cables arrived and allowed me to stabilize a few more portions of my Frankensteinian broadcast radio rig, made from half-broken electronics and a whole lot of praying. Video is now more a part of radio than it ever has been before, and not just for me. Oodles of people are discovering tool sets that are available out of necessity. It's amazing how the whole landscape of everything can change, the details, the people, the opportunities. I tested a short live stream to read a piece of text entitled Franciscan Benediction, that we found many places on the internet without a clear sign of where it originated. It sure lifted my spirit. Jill Kesty of the Coalition to End Forced Psychiatric Drugging published a YouTube video, followed now by a second one I'm looking forward to watching. We read from a book called Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman with thanks to Brendan who passed along the link that we've included in our broadcast document, which you can find at the top of intuitive.pub slash text. The relief we felt as we settled into reading this book, Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman, was almost shocking. No, no. The relief we felt was shocking. I think I am still shocked by it, and I'm looking forward to doing more radio reading. As ever, it seems my brain is most capable of understanding the content if I read it over the radio to others. That first reading attempt is crucial, and as Judith Herman underscores in the introduction to her book, Community connectivity is crucial. Later than I am usually awake, the evening of April 22nd, was that really yesterday? Yes. A few members of Bridge Family Group, including myself, attended the COVID-19 Solidarity Gathering for Rad Healers and Frontline Healthcare Workers, a Health Justice Commons, healthjusticecommons.org virtual gathering 
co-facilitated by Orame Bagheri, Fabian Fernandez, and Mordecai Cohen-Edinger. The perilous stretch of extending my bedtime two to three hours later than usual brought me into contact with undeniable social nourishment. I will be careful about when and how I do it again, because the body tells me it hurts, but the body also tells me how very much it was worth it. Our tremendous gratitude to the organizing done by HJC and the many moving pieces they coordinate for successful digital gatherings and resource sharing. I feel great fondness for an organization that takes three such important words, health, justice, commons, and puts them together, energizing a sigil that nourishes and regenerates efforts in community. Different and very similar, I think, to the ways that intuitive, public, and radio have emerged for many of us. In all the metacosmia, in the spaces where gods dwell between moats and waves, we are realizing beautiful ideas, establishing new and magical connections that are more resonant and safe. Blessings, flagrant. People and communities, very, very brave. It's April 23rd, 2020. There's no telling what may happen today. But there's a very good chance we will be broadcasting. Sound vibrations and radio sunlight healing rays. It was almost impossible to do before, but more and more we are finding it prayers, intentions, courage in the heart, determination of mind, discernment for details, deeper respect for what challenges us, and the neurologically reparative value of play does truly seem to show us ways, gives us the resilience to get up and try again. Today in the Mayan Zulkin is called Six Sun. Mark Elmi at thefourpillars.net writes, Today the Nawal of the Divine combines with the number representing stability and family values. It is a day of recognizing the holiness in what is directly around you. shining.
you're saying the high leverage point that we human beings have to affect the sort of change that we may want to see is not in the kind of political agitation that we think is our responsibility to our planet, but rather a kind of a deeper alteration or education of our inner sensibilities and the way we perceive the world, our relationship to it and our relationship to one another, that somehow restoring a humanistic or a human sensibility that was lost around the late Middle Ages as we fell into industrialism, that if we can restore that or retrieve that, we are going to equip ourselves with the mindsets and relationships and maybe emotional and spiritual fortitude that we need to actually engage with the challenges in a coherent way. That is exactly right, and I'm going beyond that to say this is already underway. There are a whole bunch of links here, and I hope that you will visit them. The most important ones are teamhuman.fm and patreon.com slash teamhuman digitallife.center is Mark Stallman's site. And you can find more of our links by browsing to the live broadcast document at the top of intuitive.pub slash text. Under television conditions, everything becomes docudrama. And so that obscures the underlying reality in very severe ways, either negatively or positively. It doesn't matter. Reality becomes obscure. It is only through digital technology where we are compelled to remember the actual structures and facts and relationships that lie behind all of this. And there is no escape. Now, I wouldn't for a moment suggest that this is going to be easy. I simply said it is inevitable. At 12.09 p.m. Eastern on April 23rd, I am listening to Team Human episode 149 with Mark Stallman entitled Get Digital, Go Medieval. This episode aired March 4th, 2020, I hope you will go to find it in its entirety at teamhuman.fm. I have listened to it many times since publishing. Often my auxiliary recorder finds me tapping the back button constantly replaying the blah, 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 replaying the nearly the same replaying nearly the same 15 seconds to 15 minutes of content, nigh 80 repetitions, meditating on the words that were used and how they align together. Thick gardens, deep nourishment. And you think that somehow by changing the way that we look at the world or experience what's happening and we take our focus maybe slightly off, oh, look at the damage human beings are doing to the environment and instead look at 
our displacement by AI and robots, that we can more effectively challenge these threats to our uh, sustainability? The only way that we will challenge those industrial age threats is by becoming, once again, fully human. There is no alternative. Thick gardens, deep nourishment. Right now I'm repeating a section at 48 minutes and 48 seconds in. That's what I hope I just played for you. 15 minutes from the end, where the dangers of becoming robots loom more pressing than the hollow media spectacle of climate crisis, and I am startled into speaking. It is not only the robotization of processes and by strict social media dictate the robotization of people to suit technical systems. It is also plainly in every instance where a human being cannot deviate from a painful script. If people are programmed to harm one another as clearly as they are, to release the robotization that has been required from us in society is to discover the inherent aliveness of our real selves. This is like Mark Stallman says, the humans are of the humus. Humans are made up of earth. With the interconnected nourishments of microbial animism, with a developing sense of energetic diplomacy, there is a new way of thriving. It doesn't require unbearable hardship to succeed. Everybody in belonging, where it is balancing for them to be, that feels a lot more like success to me. A professional that can't release their scripts is programmed by something they can't understand while within it. We don't find out how dire the effects on survivors until we more intuitively listen to those surviving the worst of it. Does your corner of the culture have tensions and barricades against deeply hearing people suffering extremity? Do words of compassion match to awareness and action? That has a lot to do with displacement by AI and robots, the robotization of our expressions, personalities, and communities with scripts unwittingly leaving out or intentionally disrupting the most profoundly human possibilities. (laughs) So much of what comes to mind in terms of becoming more human, it feels like palliative care for those of us who've become kind of dissociated or disconnected from who we are. And and you don't mean that. It's not sitting and doing TM necessarily. That's exactly right. The therapeutic world in which we now live, the self-help world, wellness wellness (laughs) and the thriving uh, and so forth world, that's completely television. That, that is an understandable, amusing yourself to death reaction. 
Um, and, and here is, is really the, the key term in all of this, responsibility. We will only become fully human if we begin to learn how to take responsibility for our actions. That means at an individual level, to be sure. It also means at every other level of human organization, starting with the family, moving on to all the various groups to which we belong, to the societies we participate in, the countries that we are citizens of, and ultimately the world. We must take responsibility. What I hear when I repeat this section over and over again is that we'd better start connecting to truly know and help one another. Rather than being distracted by mechanisms known for intentional misdirection. When we at Intuitive Public Media slogged through Extinction Rebellion communities, we started building XR Neighborhood, Mr. Rogers-like, and ended up referring to XR Trauma because robotized trauma expressions were almost all we found. Almost none of the people we interacted with realized that people are being trafficked in the midst of these and other commonly respected communities and would not respond when we tried to insist they recognize what we were saying. We said, there are simple actions you can take that will be nothing to you and everything to those who are being harmed. But somehow, without more privileged algorithms, they didn't really understand or follow up on anything we both seemed to agree was meaningful. They seemed lost in their own kind of sensory isolation despair. Running scripts destroying the world around them while wishing for beautiful things to happen. How are we activists for a good cause if we trample and waste people with solutions in our communities? Or are we still looking for someone in government to blame when we could turn our energy and attention to helping one another directly? It seems silly until you realize how traumatized the environment is, that we are all part of that environment. And so the trauma extremifying is affecting all of us in some way directly. Then you realize that the Furbies who can't recognize severe suffering and can't stop repeating the scripts they've been given are traumatized, really and really and really. People caught in that can't change or act until they have enough kindness, support, and community to access their own best healing. So gosh, we gotta keep building. Mark Stallman used the word apocalypsis. And I thought, ah, I don't have a timestamp, I can't play it. Is an apocalypsis a kind of revelatory cultural doula? An emergent prophetess? 
seems relevant. Excuse me, relevant, relevant. Douglas Rushkoff says at about 54 minutes and 19 seconds in, you're saying the high leverage point that we human beings have to affect the sort of change that we may want to see is not in the kind of political agitation that we think is our responsibility to our planet, but rather a kind of a deeper alteration or education of our inner sensibilities and the way we perceive the world, our relationship to it, and our relationship to one another, that somehow restoring a humanistic or a human sensibility that was lost around the late Middle Ages as we fell into industrialism, that if we can restore that or retrieve that, we're going to equip ourselves with the mindsets and relationships, maybe emotional and spiritual fortitude, that we need to actually engage with the challenges in a coherent way. And Mark Stallman says that is exactly right, and I'm going beyond that to say this is already underway. Then they start invoking McLuhan again, and it's just all joy for me. We have come together in part around the work of Marshall McLuhan. Marshall McLuhan was frequently asked, are you an optimist or a pessimist? As you know, his answer was neither. Like McLuhan and like yourself, I believe, I am an apocalypsist. That means that my job on earth is to try to help reveal what is actually going on. A population of people who are amusing themselves to death will not want to hear that. It is only under severe circumstances that we are shocked out of that everyday distractibility, and that is precisely what has happened to us now. By introducing robots into our lives, we have all become compelled to ask the question, who's in charge here? Am I running my own life? Am I going to adhere to the phony results of neuroscience that claim that we couldn't possibly have free will because we appear to make decisions long before we consciously are aware of them, thereby mistakenly conflating free will with conscious thought, which is not where it belongs. Free will is a subconscious process. If we allow free will to operate subconsciously, which is to say the human version of, of instincts or conscience, which is not something that operates at a conscious level, then everything that neuroscience has been saying about free will goes out the window. Everything that philosophy has been trying to say in the 20th century to eliminate free will goes out the window. We restore human agency by becoming fully human. The only way to accomplish that is for us to recover our memories. Digital technology is designed for that purpose and that purpose alone. How do we stop being television and embrace being digital? 
self-reflection, responsibility to ourselves and one another, human agency, fully human, human agency. There's a lot in, in the later parts of this episode, which you should certainly find at teamhuman.fm so you can listen to the whole thing. There's a lot in this that is doom and trauma. Doom and very natural trauma response. Doom and compounded trauma for not being able to call it trauma and address it accordingly. It's been layered like the lasagna. Margaret Klein Solomon, PhD, wrote a, a paper called Leading the Public into Emergency Mode. And there are a bunch of links here in the live broadcast document that you can find at the top of intuitive.pub slash text. There are also other articles that she has written. We the Unhoused has released episode 19 in COVID limbo. And you can find that with our links at intuitive.pub slash text. Please support Theo Henderson by navigating to patreon.com slash we the unhoused. Thank mm -hmm. you.